Thank you. Go ahead and be seated, and let me go ahead and dismiss our kids to Children's Church up to third grade. If you would like to worship together, you can meet your leaders right there with the safety team in the lobby. We believe it's a big deal to be in the house of God, do we not? Give them a good hand. Amen. Amen. I want you to take your Bible this morning and join me in the book of Joshua. Today, I'll conclude a, a series that we have been looking at, the victories and defeats. And this morning, I want to preach to you on something we all need from time to time. You ready? Second chances. Second chances. I don't know how many times in my life as a teenager I left church under conviction. What do you mean? I mean, I literally left church under conviction. The Holy Spirit was dealing with my heart. I knew he was, but yet somehow I walked away unchanged and unfazed until one Tuesday night in revival, I said, I'm not going to fight this fight anymore. I'm going to let the Lord have his way. Amen? I praise God for it. Joshua chapter 8. I'm going to read just a few verses. This is a, a very narrative part of Scripture that we could read the whole thing and cover a lot of verses, but it really is a very simple story. And it's a story of love. It's a story of strategy. It's a story of how God accomplishes his purpose. And just like Henry Blackaby said, I believe God uses his word to speak to us. I believe God speaks to us through prayer. I believe God speaks through us through other people. And I also believe God uses circumstances. And the children of Israel, it was no, they were no exception to God using the circumstances in their life. And these circumstances, they really created themselves. Now, what do you mean, Brother Greg? Well, in Joshua chapter 6, it's the victory at Jericho. So let's review it very quickly. God had a strategy, and even though it may have not made sense to the army at that time, they would walk around the city, and they would do the same thing for six days, once, one, one time a day. Until they got to the seventh day, they would march around the city seven times, the people would shout, they would, they would blow the trumpet, blow the horns, and God in his miraculous power was going to give Israel Jericho that was behind the wall. And we know the story, the walls fell. God delivered and gave victory to Israel. And now Israel is into the promised land marching on. And last week we looked at a problem. And the problem wasn't a mighty army, the problem was they were doing it without God's instruction. As a matter of fact, uh, Joshua sends men out to say, what do you think? And they come back and say, we don't need the whole army. Let's cut back. Let's just send two or 3,000. This will be a piece of cake. We'll, we'll handle this battle without any, without any casualties. But yet Israel lost men, and they were driven back because they were not listening to God. Listen, following the battle of Jericho. So last week, I introduced you to a man named Achan. They brought one person from each tribe. Every family came in, 
and they gave them an opportunity to confess. Tell us that you were the one who took something from Jericho when God said don't. And Achan said, it's me. I want to tell you something, folks. Telling the truth sometimes is hard. Look at me. But telling the truth is never wrong. You think, you think uh, Achan was in a position just to keep on lying? And, and by the way, once you tell one lie, it's not hard to tell a second. It'll, it'll steamroll, it'll, it'll snowball on you. Remember, if you tell the truth, you can have a short memory. Why? Because the truth never changes. Right? They bring Achan in. He said, I did it. And because of that sin, Israel was defeated, but it came at a great cost to Achan. His family was killed. Now, in chapter 8, Israel is ready to go forward. Why? Because sin had been dealt with. And folks, we're never going to experience revival unless God does a work of heart in your heart and in my heart, unless he deals with the sin in our life. You say, well, I'm hiding it from everybody, Brother Greg. We're good at that. We're good at that. But I can assure you, God is already aware of it. So who are we fooling? And the truth is, if we don't get right with God, revival is something we're going to talk about and pray for. So chapter 8, beginning with verse 1, if you're with me, say amen. Now the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid nor dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise, go up to Ai or Ai. See, I have given it into your hand, the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai or Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves, as spoils for yourselves. Lay an ambush for the city behind it. Now, I want you to mark your Bible, put your ribbon or your, or your finger in an envelope right here, and flip back to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to it all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Joshua 1, 9, Anita. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God is simply repeating to Joshua what he's already told him. He's also repeating to Joshua the same thing in Deuteronomy that he promised to Moses. And that was that he would be with him regardless, that I will walk with you. Sin has been dealt with. Let's go forward. And the Bible says, see, verse 1, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. Now, if you flip back to chapter 6, verse 2, the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand, and his king, and the mighty men of valor. It's 
it's as if Joshua is at a point of a do-over. It's at the point of a start-over. How many golfers are in the house this morning? If you golf or know a little bit about it, raise your hand. Okay, let me see who I'm dealing with. Okay, a few of you. All right. Um, golf is one of the most frustrating sports in the world. It's not, like, it's not like shooting a foul shot. You can teach your muscles memory and do the same thing every time you shoot a foul shot. There is so much that can go wrong in a golf swing, it's unbelievable. So most of the time, when I play golf with guys, we have, we, we, there's a word that we're aware of, and I'm all for it, and it's called a mulligan, okay? A mulligan takes place, Denny, when you get up to the tee and take that swing, and the ball goes who knows where. It might go into somebody's farm field. It might go into a lake. It, it, it's just a bad, it might dribble off the shot. I mean, you could, hit a, you could hit a ball off a tee and be closer to the ball after you swing than you were before you started. It could be awful. And then you hear the news, oh, Brother Greg, take a mulligan. And, and we got church guys that play golf, and they let me do this a lot. I, th- I think they want me to feel good about myself. Brother Greg, take a mulligan. And you know what that is? That's a free shot, isn't it, Brent? It's a freebie. It's a freebie. Now, what's going to happen in my life is I'm going I'm to ask for a, somebody's going to give me a mulligan, and on my next shot, which really would be a, like a penalty third shot, I'm going to hole in one. And then those guys that gave me the mulligan are say, it don't count, that's your third shot. Here's what I love about a mulligan. It's a do-over. And I'm telling you, everybody in this room at some time in your life are going to be pleading for a second chance. A second chance. Every married couple in here, marriage is not easy. Those of you that have been married a long time, you've learned how to get over hurdles in life. You've learned how to forgive. You've learned how to say, I need you to forgive me. You've asked for it. And God gives you a second chance to go forward. In our Christian life, there are times when we need a second chance and a second do-over. And in the Christian life, listen to me, it's not called a mulligan. It's called salvation. It's called salvation. And in this Old Testament story, God is giving Israel a second chance. And, and I love it because he doesn't let failure define Israel. If you have your outline, I'm going to give you four simple points this morning. And the first one is simply this. Setbacks in life can really be defining moments. Defining moments. Uh, def- uh, describe a defining moment, moment brother Greg. Defining moments for me, I'll use myself as an example of a normal boy growing up. Defining moments might be uh, getting cut from an athletic team. Defining moment may be who I choose to be my friends. For every kid in here, every youth in here, friendships have a tremendous weight on the decisions you make. If you're running with somebody right now that is prone to get you in trouble, I'm saying distance yourself from that person. 
Don't let others decide the outcome for your life. You'll say, well, Brother Greg, that's just old fogey. You're just an old preacher that don't know anything. I know that I was a teenager one time, and I know, I know what went through my mind. In the first service, I, 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 I made this statement. You can agree with me or not. I believe those junior high years are some of the most formative years in a person's life that we take, we take that for granted. Why? Because there's so many changes taking place in your body, in your emotions, in, uh, in your relationships. The other day, Renee and I had a junior high conversation. She said, I bet I know who the first girl you kissed was. I'm thinking, okay, how am I getting out of this one? I said, no, you don't. You don't know who that is. And I'm not sure there was ever a time until I said I do. That You'll get that in just a minute, okay? I, I was thinking, how am I going to, I just remember those, those days in, in junior high years, how everything seemed to change. And how in those teenage years, bad choices can be regretted. Anybody want to say amen? A do-over. Man, if I could go back and do over some things, I would. But setbacks can be defining moments that you learn from. And Israel was in the midst of a setback because they had just been defeated by this little army, Ai. Joshua said, hey, boys, go scout it out. Come back, tell me what we need. Joshua, we don't need the whole army. Give some guys some time off. Send two or 3,000. And the Bible says they did it, and they were driven back, and it broke the heart of Joshua until God said, get up. There's sin in the camp, and until it's taken care of, you're going to live in defeat. Learn from it. Let this be a defining moment. So in chapter 8, this new battle against Ai for the second time is going to take place but it's going to have a different strategy, and it's a strategy coming from God, not from a couple guys that said, cut back everything, we only need two or 3,000. As a matter of fact, when you look at verse one, do not be afraid nor dismayed, chapter eight, take all the people and go take care of business. And this battle would involve a strategy, and it would be a strategy of deception. Now, here's the difference in God's plan of using deception and the devil's plan. The devil never reveals it. He wants you to find out. He wants you to be surprised. He wants to hit you from behind. He doesn't care. He doesn't care that it's uh, not in your best interest, or it's not for your own good. The devil is only interested in himself. As a matter of fact, the devil doesn't show you payday for sin. He just wants to present it like a fishing lure and hope that you and I are just carnal enough and weak enough as Christians to jump in and grab it. But he never reveals payday for it. On the other hand, when God is using deception in this passage and in this encounter and in this conflict, he's making it very clear to the children of Israel what's going to take place. He said, we're going to ambush them. In essence, we're going to get them from behind and we're going to come at them from the front. They're going to see us coming. 
they're going to think that here are the two or 3,000 from Israel that we beat last time. Here they come. Let's do it to them again. And they're going to begin to look at us. When they look at us, we're going to turn and run, the Bible says. And as we turn and run, those that are waiting in the rear are going to step in and ambush them. Now, the Bible says, so Joshua arose, look at verse 3, and all the people of war to go against Ai, and Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. And he commanded them, saying, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city, behind the city. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. Now, jump down to verse 12. So he took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. And when they had set the people and all the army that was on the north of the city and its rear guard on the west of the city, Joshua went that night into the midst of the valley, and it happened. When the king of Ai saw it, that the men of the city hurried and rose early, went out against Israel to battle, he and all of his people at an appointed place before the plain, but he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all of Israel made as if they were beaten before them. As if they were beaten, they began to run. They began to retreat and fled by the way of the wilderness. 16, so all the people who were at Ai were called together to pursue them. And they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. And there was not a man left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. So they left the city open and pursued it. Then the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the spear that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua did it toward the city. So those in ambush arose quickly out of their place. They saw it as soon as he had stretched out his hand. They hurried and entered the city and hurried to set the city on fire. Now, the picture would almost be as you come after us, why don't you turn around and look at AI? Boys, it's on fire. We've got you, or God has you right where he said you would be. And he delivers the victory. He delivers the victory. 21, when Joshua and all of Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. See, what the devil wants you to think, folks, is that, that you're victorious, but what you're going to do is you're going to turn around and nobody's going to be with you. When you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, Israel is reminding us that I can trust God and I'm never alone. There'll never be another day in my life when I'm alone and trying to fight the battles by myself. Number two. After we confess known sin and turn from it, places we've known defeat can be a place of victory. AI would be one of those places. The choice was made. So I want to ask you a question right now here this morning. Think about a time in your life when something you did just turned into an epic fail. You're not sure what happened. 
but it just got off the rails fast. A place where you stumbled and you didn't know if you could ever get up again. Anybody want to say amen to that? Anybody here that could say, I- I'm telling you, I'm, I'm the guy. I've lived it and I found out that God is faithful. Amen, church? A place where you were hurt so bad that you thought you would never be able to forgive. But yet somehow here you are today. A place where you went so far and too far, and if you could have it back one more time, oh God, I wouldn't do it, I'd change it. I would rewrite history if I could. A place of failure or a place where you've known defeat can be turned into a place of victory. And that's exactly what you see in this battle against this small army. Now, what's the difference in this victory and the previous defeat? It's the authority of God. It's the authority of God. And the Bible says that Joshua commands his people. I mean, it's a, he's, he's got a word from God. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what we're going to do. Rally the troops. Here's the strategy. You can almost see them uh, over the table with, with the map of the territory and, and writing down, here's where we're going to be. Here's what we're going to do. When I raise the staff, here's what's going to happen. And I love this because we're living in a day where people lose sight of it. And sometimes even in the church, we lose sight of it. Number three, the word of the Lord brings authority. Authority. This Bible that you and I are are reading this morning is the word of God. Anybody want to say amen? This Bible is inspired of God. The Bible is the only book in the world that claims its own inspiration. All scripture And what God does is he takes his word through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in the life of you as a believer. He bears witness of his word into your heart that, you know what? There have been times in my life where I've been defeated and they've been defining moments and now I can see how God's actually used that for his glory. I can see that I've been looking for answers and all the books that I'm reading in school or, or all the things I'm reading on social media and I'm looking for answers and now I realize that the real authority is in the word of God. There's power in the word. The word of the Lord brings authority. This is not Joshua cowering in a corner saying they beat us once, what do we do? This is Joshua trusting and taking God at his word saying that sin has been dealt with. Now let's go forward. He commands his people. There's no sign of, of him being unsure of what to do. Now, this morning, we can't always presume in knowing the exact will of God for our life. Sometimes that takes time. That, that may take years. It may take months for you to discover uh, what God wants you to do with the rest of your life. But make sure you understand one thing this morning God's plan for your life to begin with is for you to know him as Lord and Savior and to save you. What do you mean save me from? Save you from hell. That's why Jesus came. He came and died on the cross to pay a debt for us we could never pay ourselves. Now, I don't know about you looking at your expressions this morning. Does that excite anybody in this room? My goodness, folks. 
We watched the Bengals win a game after 31 years of looking for it and, and thrilled to death. I'm telling you, we have the word of God this morning that's going to take us into eternity. There are only two things that are eternal this morning, the word of God and, and, and the Holy Spirit in your life, you. Everybody's eternal, but you're going somewhere when you die. The question to answer is where? And I want to tell you something, a Baptist church will not get you to heaven. It's the message that a preacher better be preaching. Jesus saves, amen? That he came to die for me, and if you place your faith in him, heaven can be your home because of his love and his grace. I love that. It's authority. It's authority. And when we presume to know the will of God, we might be thinking we know a little bit more than God does, but sometimes his ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts, and his timing is not our timing. So he uses an ambush. He uses a, a plan of deception. And he trusts the orders that he's given. Let's continue on. Let's start at 21. Now, when Joshua and all of Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. Then the others came out of the city against them, so they were caught in the midst of Israel, some on this side, some on that side, and they struck them down so that they let none of them remain or escape. But the king of Ai they took alive, and they brought to Joshua. And it came to pass when Israel had made an end of slaying of all the inhabitants of Ai in the field in the wilderness where they pursued them, and when they had all fallen by the edge of the sword until they were consumed, that all the Israelites returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. And so it was that all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city of Israel took as booty for themselves, according to the word of the Lord which he had commanded. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap forever, a desolation to this day. And the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until evening, and as soon as, soon as the sun was down, he commanded that they should take the corpse down from the tree cast it at the entrance of the gate of the city and raise over it a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Why in the world would he do that? To proclaim that their God is a great God. And that he's a God of second chances. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. But God gives it. Boy, I tell you, I heard preachers, Message, preach, message after message growing up as a teenager. I'd sit in the pews like you did. I, I, I went to church uh, growing up and early when Renee and I were married. Uh, this design and this uh, sanctuary came along years after. Most churches built were like shotgun straightaways. And, mo and most would have maybe two rows of pews with a, an aisle or similar to our other building would have two aisles. And I used to sit back in left field. Uh, back there around you, Greg, and it would be deep, and I'd look back, and I'd be sitting there, and I'd listen to that preacher intently, and the Holy Spirit of God would convict me, and I would hope that the service would soon end. I was looking at my watch. I knew what time it was. 
and I would try to get out. Unchanged, under conviction, but get out. And here's what I found. Here's what I found. God is faithful and God is long-suffering and God's desire is for you to be saved. He wants to give you another opportunity. He wants to give you another chance. And I know when we say second chances, listen, going to heaven's not rolling the dice and gambling. It's not like you have a chance. Folks, when you come to Christ, it's a sure thing. When you come to Jesus, it's a sure thing. He will save you if you confess your sin and turn from it. How do I know that? That's what the Bible says. The Bible says, with the heart we believe and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the promise of the word of God. And it's interesting when you think about Joshua's leadership. He had learned the lesson. Now, I want to take you back to that small army that's approaching. The Bible says they're in the valley so they can be seen. And all, all of the armies of Ai gathered together to go after them. And to Israel, we're part of the plan. God is at work. This is, this is being executed just the way God wanted it to, to happen. But to Ai, here's what they're thinking. Oh, we've got them again. We've got them again. They don't learn from their mistakes. We've got them right where we want them. Number four, the devil wants to lock you into the cycle of repeated defeat. He wants you to get right into the rut of continuous defeat. And for some of you, listen, you're dabbling in sin and you're thinking you're okay. I'm telling you it's a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope. And the devil wants you to think it's okay. The devil wants you to think it doesn't affect the rest of the army. The devil wants you to think no one's going to look under the rug in your floor. I'm telling you, folks, God is a God of a second chance, but you have to come to him with a heart that is repentant. Playing it over and over in your mind. What if I could do it again? Some of you watched a week ago, Alabama and Georgia play the national finals on Monday night. At the end of the game, Alabama, of course, was beaten. At the end of the game, there was a press conference with Nick Saban, like there are after big ball games, and Nick Saban was sitting in the middle. And uh, to his left and right sat Bryce Young, the Heisman Trophy winner, college football's greatest award, his quarterback, Bryce Young, who had just been beaten. Then on the other side was All-American uh, defensive uh, lineman Anderson. They asked him the questions, and it was hard for these guys to even talk. And Bryce Young said, I, I feel like we, we, we let everybody down. I didn't, I didn't play like I wanted to play. You could just see the crush on, on the, in their interview. The, the interviewer said, okay, thank you, boys. We'll let you go ahead and dismiss. We'll continue to talk to Coach Saban. And Nick Saban said, hold it, hold it, hold it. You guys sit back down. He goes, the only reason we're in, we were in this game is because of these two guys and others that played hard. 
These are some of the finest men you'll ever meet in your life. They've given us everything this year. And I want them to know, and I want you to know, and everybody watching to know, that these two young men are not defined by one game. They're defined by everything they've done for this school. You see, what we do is we think one mistake is the end. When I look at the Old Testament, I realize that one mistake may be the threshing uh, or the threshold, the, the stepping stone that God can use, and the end of my life is not over. God, this doesn't have to be the end. This can be the beginning of recognizing that I can't do it without God in my life. I want you to bow your heads. Every head bowed, every eye closed. 